Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 24th episode of 2022. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, CHR Solutions, Millennium, and Plume, and our silver sponsor, Graybar. You know, last week in Washington, our good friend Chris McLean, the acting RUS administrator, shared that over the next several months, RES will work to complete its current $1.15 billion reconnect funding round. You know, publish the rules for the next founding run. That was going to include $2 billion from the Infrastructure Act, and then it'll start the application process for that round. You know, RUS received 305 applications seeking a total of more than $4.8 billion in funding in the current round. RUS could tap into additional funding from other sources to add to the $1.15 billion available. Though some applicants are seeking funding for wireless projects, most of the applications are for fiber projects, with many applications from small telcos, rural electric co-ops, and larger telecommunication providers and cable companies have filed applications. Also last week, I was at Ohio State University, go Buckeyes, with uh, Lieutenant Governor John Husted and Eric Leach from the Governor's Office of Workforce Transformation as we kicked off the Ohio Broadband and 5G Sector Partnership. We have a very aggressive agenda to train fiber optic technicians and an effort to accelerate the deployment of broadband and 5G across the state of Ohio. This week, the entire fiber industry is in Nashville at Fiber Connect 2022. Our attendance has been amazing with over growing over 50% beyond our previous record. Today's closing summit is with keynotes such as our good friend Chris Alley from the University of Virginia and author of Farm Fresh Broadband. Uh, love Chris. I'm looking forward to his keynote. You know, after Nashville, our next fiber conference will be in San Jose, Costa Rica on July 11th and 12th. And then we'll be holding our fiber workshops at Copper Mountain Resort in Colorado on August 23rd and in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. That brings us today's Fiber for Breakfast session, where we're going to be focused on the power of fiber, power utilities build fiber for the greater good. You know, last week at Fiber for Breakfast, we met with Jamie Linderman from Omnia and discussed how one gig became the global broadband standard. Jamie's research showed that 88% of network operators in North America today are offering a gigabit or higher service at sub $100 pricing. Even more interesting is that fiber networks today are being built for 10 gig symmetric service and we'll, we'll, we'll soon be seeing 25 gig and 50 gig pond. In today's session, we're gonna be doing a roundtable discussion on the power of fiber, power utilities build fiber for the greater good with the chair of the Fiber Broadband Association's Power Utility Roundtable, Pete Hoswell from Howland Board of Public Works, along with Fiber Broadband Association's past chair, Katie Espeth of EPB in Chattanooga, and George Segal of, from Alabama Power. 
Pete Hopswell was the superintendent of broadband services at Holland Board of Public Works, and he's responsible for all aspects of fiber network services. He also serves as the Fiber Broadband Association's chair of the Public Utility Roundtable. Katie Esbeth is the vice president of new products at EPB and served as the Fiber Broadband Association's chair from in 2020 and 2021. And George Stigall is the connectivity manager at Alabama Power, which provides service to 1.5 million homes and businesses and industries in the southern two-thirds of Alabama. So welcome, Pete, Katie, and George. And to get things kicked off, why don't we start with some opening statements from each of our panelists, and we'll begin with you, Pete. Thanks very much, Gary, and it's great to be here with you today, and Katie and George as well. Um, greetings from Holland, Michigan. We are in West Michigan, um, along the shores of Lake Michigan, where we uh, provide uh, electric water, yes. wastewater, yeah, and uh, broadband services as utilities to the Holland area. As, as uh, Gary was showing, uh, the Michigan, we are over here along the uh, western side, along the shore of Lake Michigan, straight across from Detroit that's over here. So uh, it's, a, it's a very exciting time for us. We've been building uh, fiber for 30 years in Holland, starting uh, with uh, building that uh, fiber to serve our uh, power and water utilities uh, to give enhanced connectivity for monitoring and control of those systems. Fiber has allowed us to take our utility from being a reliable and uh, efficient system to being an even better one by having that solid connectivity. And we'll be talking all of us a little bit about the value of fiber to a utility. When we started the fiber, we decided any excess capacity in our network would be made available to our community. Being a municipal utility, this is in our DNA, and we did that and uh, have provided uh, lit services and dark fiber services to our greater community for, uh, for 30 years now. So exciting times. And I'll pass it back to you, Gary. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Pete. And uh, Katie? So good morning. Thanks for asking us uh, to join the discussion this morning. Uh, similar to how Pete described their role, um, uh, EPB is very similar. Uh, we are a municipally owned electric power distributor located in the southeastern corner of Tennessee. We pass about 185,000 homes in our footprint. Um, and really our decision to build a fiber optic network stemmed uh, from at the beginning of the in early 2000s of us asking the question, how can we really uh, deliver more value for our community? Our mission's just similar to um, most power to distributors, and it's about really enhancing the quality of life of the folks who live, live in our footprint. And we feel like economic development is at the very heart of being able to do that. So we began looking at technologies. How could we do that? and fiber was really where we landed um, on being able to provide more reliable power and building an economic engine for businesses in our footprint. So that's how we uh, made the decision to build the fiber optic network. Today we have about 11,000 miles of fiber in our footprint. We serve about 125,000 customers with our broadband services. So would we do it again? Absolutely. Thanks Katie. And then to our big operator, 
George with Alabama Power. Hey, Gary, uh, KDP, good to be with y'all as well. Um, yeah, George Stegall, I'm the connectivity manager for Alabama Power. Um, we started our fiber program. We, we've been in it for 30 years, Pete, similar to you, but typically from, uh, you know, generation unit to substation. And we had not moved into more of the distribution space until three or four years ago, um, studying it closely, working a lot with EPB Chattanooga. They were very helpful in explaining the electrical benefits that we see and experience today um, where we have our fiber networks. So um, our build profile is twofold. We, we have an intentional long haul program. That's not unique. There's many power companies doing that. What is more unique is how deep our fiber gets to our network. So what I was saying earlier, where now we'll go substation to not the side of the home, but um, down our primary lines, down feeders to um, to the front of the neighborhood is sort of the way I would explain it. Um, it, it in some instances, that is you know on premise, but typically it's it's um, there is another last mile component to it to actually get to the side of the home connection. So um, we have a robust program. We have 14 uh, active and or finalized fiber distribution networks. Um, we have hundreds of miles of long haul that are uh, finished and then hundreds more under construction. So um, we're in about year three of a 10 year build out cycle. So very intentional on fiber, very intentional really on the full connectivity gamut. When we looked at the grid of the future, similar to what Katie was saying, we quickly, we already knew it, but as you study it, you know, there are increasingly positive and strong uh, devices that sectionalize the grid to help us manage outages, trouble on the line. Um, but what you also see is you need communication between, uh, you know, a central location and that grid device. And so making sure that we have that robust connect connectivity medium, be it fiber or wireless, we have both. It's a, it's not just a single. Um, however, the, the fiber program is, um, is fairly robust um, and, and newer. So how would you guys describe I mean, so you got kind of a municipal you know, with Pete and then a larger city with Katie and then kind of the whole state or nearly the state for Alabama. So what do you, how would you describe to our audience kind of what's similar between, you know, there's, I guess, George, you do both generation and some distribution and then you, Pete, you and Katie do distribution. Pete, you do um, also water and other utilities as well. Maybe you can help describe for our audience. I'll let you guys kind of all just jump in and describe, you know, how the what you are, how you're the same, and how you're different. Sure. Well, I can start. And you know, being a power utility provider, we're all using that fiber infrastructure at the core to operate um, the utilities that we provide. And uh, we are a power uh, distribution. We're also a power uh, producer, so we have a nice power plant, uh, water treatment plant, water reclamation plant. All these systems uh, have uh, core uh, technologies in them. We call it SCADA um, that is uh, operating and controlling that system. All three of our entities are going to have that. Fiber is absolutely essential for very reliable, high-performance uh, connectivity for the, all that equipment. Hey, if we lose contact with one of our substations and the power goes down, that's a bad day in our town. And fiber helps us keep that uh, up. So I, I, I would add, um, we're very similar to that as well. But the, really the cost of power outages to our communities is tremendous. Um, and, and 
the cost to power outages prior to building this network in Chattanooga, we worked with DOE, there's lots of calculators that are available. Um, but we could document the cost of power outages in Chattanooga uh, was nearly $100 million a year. And that's not cost to us as the utility, it's cost to our customers, it's lost productivity, it, it, it's the cash register or the, the point of sale terminals not working and that sort of thing. So we realized that that was something we could really, uh, if we could improve reliability and cut those outage minutes and outage instances, we could really provide a huge benefit to our community. So looking back now, 10 years after launch, uh, we can document a, a significant um, improvement in power reliability. In fact, uh, 65, we've reduced 65% of power outage instances uh, with about 52% reduction in outage minutes. So going back to that $100 million, uh, that's nearly $50, $50 million of, of really wealth or productivity that we've returned to the community. Not to us, but to the community, which is what why we're here and what we're here to do, and that's to serve the community. So, you know, that those numbers scale to communities all, all over the country, whether you're small or whether you're large. Any bite you can take out of those power outages um, it is extremely important and fiber is truly the only technology that's the, that gives you the communication speed, the low latency, everything that you need to really make that effective. So we only touched on what it does to bring high access to high speed broadband to your, to, to your residents and to your businesses. But, but just looking at the power savings alone is worth building a network. We, we, we firmly believe that's the case. Great, great. I, I can echo that from Alabama Power standpoint. We we see both of those points in terms of um, you know outages and the the speed at which we can now uh, recover from an outage. In a lot of instances where the we have a full fiber deployment with the reclosers and the artificial intelligence that sits on top of those outages can happen and a consumer doesn't even experience it because it it, it cycles six sixtieths of a second. Um, so it's it's very quick. Uh, and so, and, and then you can also design the grid to be um, much smaller, you know, 300 customers for a given outage, as opposed to 1500 or more that a, a single squirrel or a single uh, uh, pole that jumps out in front of a car could um, could impact. Um, so we're, we, we certainly see those same two benefits. The, the other aspect that we see from just a, a large, I think it's 45,000 square miles of a territory that we serve, a lot of our local offices are relying on the, the local internet. And so the systems that we have from a corporate standpoint, some of our field engineers can't even run those systems because the, the internet connection in those local areas is so poor. So there's some very basic, just central elements to it. And, and, and it's really a platform. This is the most beneficial of, we, we see and experience new elements of what the fiber is providing maybe not daily, but probably monthly. Um, and so it's it's significant to to know that you do not have a limitation from a communication standpoint. So whatever um, innovative technology that comes out there, we don't have to have the fear of, well, we, we don't have the speeds to be able to communicate with that device. That's that's gone. Um, and so that that's a that's a huge future proofing simplification for for future innovations. So it sounds like that 
the initial driver for fiber in the utilities was really to strengthen and modernize the electric grid to really provide more stable, reliable power and reduce outages, uh, reduce loss and, and cost to um, ratepayers and the community at large. Um, and, you know, last time I was in Beirut, you know, they have a very unstable power grid. And when you're sitting there all day long with brownouts and the, the more rich people can have generators at their um, apartments and things like that. But it's, you don't realize how disruptive life is when you're just constantly, you know, it's just like clean water. You, know, you take it for granted until you're at a place that doesn't have a reliable clean water. So just having that clean energy and be able to have that reliable. And so then it sounds like then you really had to saw a community need to be able to what helped you determine to come out with um, broadband services. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Um, and this little conversation is uh, really felt, I, f I feel that segue moving uh, from using fiber as a power utility um, mechanism uh, to providing broadband services as a utility in our community. We consider broadband service a essential utility. Just as we talked about, if the power goes out, you can't run your business because the cash register is offline. If the internet service uh, serving your business goes out, you can't run the cash register because the internet's offline. We have restaurants downtown uh, that have a momentary internet outage. It's a major panic. They can't, you know, what are they gonna do? Uh, so it is, it's an absolutely essential service just like electricity and water is today. And we treat it that way within our organization. Katie, I know that you've seen this in your town too. Yeah, you know, I think it's the same across the country, really, whether you're rural or urban. Um, the lack of access to high-speed broadband is well documented across the country. And Chattanooga was no different than many, many other spots. When we began to look out to, to look at what services were available to our, our customers, we realized, hey, we were very much underserved. Um, and so using that same fiber optic network, we layered on access to high-speed internet. Um, and we were we were early in this process, and so we worked with some economists and uh, folks at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga to help to help us project what would happen if we built this infrastructure. And we really, at that time, we were hoping for a 35% take rate uh, when we built the network. Um, we've asked that same economist to go back and and document um, some of the benefits to the community and. His study has been published and is, is talked about quite a bit, but we can document or he can document in his team about $2.7 billion of impact, economic impact to the Chattanooga area. It's not to EPB, but it's across the board. It's smart grid savings. It's about new, about new companies coming to Chattanooga. It's about entrepreneurial ventures being launched. It's about 9,500 new jobs. So it's across the board. Uh, been a tremendous benefit to the community and and what do utilities do we build infrastructure and we do that really well but communities collapse around this infrastructure and they really make it what it is and they're the ones that create the economic benefits so while we think fi the fiber optic network is at the a very foundation it's really about what really smart people do in each of our communities to find those applications and really uh, and really deliver for the community. You know, it's amazing. Um, you know, so Chattanooga being the first gigabit 
community in the world, you know, putting Chattanooga on the world stage. It, it was interesting because I know being just down the road from Chattanooga that, you know, that's our mayor is like, people are moving to Chattanooga now. I mean, you know, they saw this, that, you know, things like um, your incubators or what can you do with a gig and all kinds of new businesses come into Chattanooga and really transform that. And even then becoming a 10 gig city um, in the research, you know, last week's Five for Breakfast, Jamie Linderman had basically said that, you know, people, operators are offering a gigabit and they're going to offer 10 gig and they're going to keep offering higher and higher services. And not necessarily because people need that, but people will switch to an operator that offers the highest service because they believe that that, that company is on the leading edge and that's going to be a more reliable and more future-proof operator. Um, one of the things I also love about Chattanooga, Katie, is, you know, I spend a lot of time up on the COE and everybody from Chattanooga always has glowing things to say about EPB. And when I look at the net promoter scores in the telecommunications industry, they are at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, they are the, the lowest. And fiber operators are the, the best of the worst. But it's, so it's great to see that everybody, you know, loves EPB. Um, and I'm sure that's the same in Holland. Uh, George, so kind of moving to now a big uh, IOU, um, how are you guys looking at fiber? Is I think it's more middle mile, right? Or... Yes. So so our fiber journey was um, how can we make the electrical grid better? And this this I mentioned this earlier, but the, the platform element is not necessarily the way that an engineer is is um, we we try to do things that are the um, the the most uh, effective for an electrical use. And so when we started thinking and talking about fiber, it certainly is, you know, fiber is the best communication medium. But the 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 and the and people can ride it to deliver broadband speed was the innovative step for us. It's that's that's outside of our scope. That's not what we do. Uh, frankly, it's still not what we do. But um, what we do is build infrastructure to what Katie said. And that that same infrastructure is used for multi-purpose. You know, we're talking internet right now but in probably five ten years we're going to be talking telemedicine and doctors being connected directly to patients and it won't even hit the you know a traditional isp potentially so um it, it's a platform um and so that's the way we think about it from an electrical standpoint and then from the consumer standpoint um it's really the same same future platform that there's going to be a lot of smart people that do a lot of interesting and cool things and are enabled by the infrastructure so that's really the way we approach and look at it and think about it um, and so our our role in in um, we enter into partnerships um, in those those 14 markets that i mentioned seven of them we have active partnerships with the other seven are in more rural areas uh, and are harder to find those partners so very interested and excited to see what the infrastructure bill is going to do in terms of enabling business cases for some areas that did not have traditional telecom business cases uh, pencil. Um, so we're very excited to see that. Uh, and, and we have seen that. You, you see it and we're, we're very good and understand sort of that depending on the demographics that the telecoms look at, we can tell, hey, we're going to be able to find a partner. The median incomes are this level. The poverty rates are this level. We know that that's the thresholds that they'll they'll hit and um, bite. And so um, to see the the government government entity step in to try to lower that to get to the, the you know the the hardest places to reach, um, we're excited both about our infrastructure being utilized to to its fullest extent, 
and then also to see the partners be able to come in and create business cases and develop change in those um, those neighborhoods, those communities as well. So from what you guys described, I mean, there's over 3,300 electric utility companies in the U.S. And of those, you know, there's 950 rural electric co-ops. So why wouldn't all these utility companies be offering broadband, either dark fiber and middle mile or being able to actually have residential broadband? It, are they all going to be operating or what, what's the pushback? Where, where are we on having every operate, every utility have a broadband program? So I, I can I can jump in and answer this. So it, from from my seat, my experience is um, there's a fear of technology that, that we don't understand it. We don't know it. You know, what is GPON? What is XG, XPS GPON? You know, there's all these new levels of technology that are coming out and from an electrical uh, entity that is challenging. It's also, in some instances, you're entering into a competitive landscape where you know, we, we, in the electrical context, we don't compete on the residential level. Um, and so those two elements are big. Um, I, I see and sense and believe that what we're going to see is a decoupling of service and infrastructure. We've already seen it. Um, and we're going to continue to see more of it where you know, Google Fiber came in and started building in a lot of different markets, and they were a big disruptor, and it was very exciting to see it. It was very interesting. And then as you kind of look back and, and kind of business case out what happened, what was challenging? The construction. The construction was extremely difficult um, for a lot of reasons. Some of the some of the rules and from a polo attachment standpoint, the incumbents can control when and where you can attach or or the process allows them to control it. And so the importance and ability to go and construct and build infrastructure in the right way at the right price points that allow those business cases to pencil in less dense areas are increasingly important. And then that service, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's capital intensive to be able to go find and win those customers when you're, you're having to rely on your own balance sheet to be able to go win those customers. But if you, the infrastructure entity, Alabama Power, can enable someone to extend, not take on dilutive capital to where they can still go pursue the market and don't have to, to dilute shareholders. Um, that's going to be transformative. It's going to be innovative. Um, and we're seeing it. I think we're going to see more of it. The infrastructure bill points towards more of an open access model. Um, so so that's from from our chair. It's the it's the risk of technology that is a challenge. It's that competitive landscape that is a challenge. And it's this evolving marketplace. But what I see in sense is the decoupling of an infrastructure play and a, and a, and a services play is, is the future. Yeah, it's funny. My friend Jay Stowe uh, once told me that, um, you know, he's, he runs the power utility. So by definition, he's risk averse. And so I can see where, um, you know, the utility guys are probably not the first guys running out. But the ones who have, you know, like Katie at EPB and Pete, you guys have really seen tremendous success for you and your community. Uh, so Pete, as the uh, chair of the Public Utility Roundtable, um, what are kind of the, the big topics that you guys, I mean, it's the fastest growing roundtable discussion we have at the Fiber Broadband. It seems to be really doing great. So what are, what are the big topics that get discussed? Yeah, Gary, you know, the Power Utilities Roundtable meets uh, once a month. Uh, we meet through a, a video conference uh, very similar to this uh, to share um, our ideas, uh, ask questions and get answers. About half the folks are running uh, fiber networks in one way or another. 
and the other half are considering it or just beginning a project and they're well on their way they have a lot of questions so it's a great uh, information sharing uh, group that's um, been very beneficial we spent about half of our time talking about funding opportunities of course because IIJA has really brought that to the forefront of the uh, uh, broadband industry as a whole how are we going to get this out particularly for the uh, rural uh, power uh, providers out there the co-ops that are trying to figure out how to uh, add this new utility into their mix and uh, the other half of the time is really operations and maintenance uh, how do you how do you get this thing up and running how do you keep it running how do you make a value proposition for your community that's uh, going to work for them and uh, how are you going to build a sustainable infrastructure so uh, it's a lot of uh, you know boots on the ground and in the mud and figuring it out and uh, it's it's been uh, very exciting sessions we're thinking about moving from an hour to an hour and a half because the conversation keeps blowing right through our hour session so it'll be like the uh, our public officials roundtable that's supposed to be an hour and a half and goes for about two and a half hours yes exactly. uh, it's great it's great information so thanks for leading that uh, so everyone I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your schedule um, you know I hope that we can educate more utility operators um, on the benefits it sounds like from your experience that um, there's huge power um, efficiency benefits to your ratepayers and your communities in addition to the broadband infrastructure for connecting your community as well as public safety and even preparing for 5g so that's fantastic so thanks you guys um, i also want to thank everybody for joining us today uh, we next week we're going to get together on talking about fiber connecting the dots our post-show recap with julie kunstler the chief analyst and jamie linderman the principal analyst at omdia so they are part we have over 52 press analysts at our event this week and uh, they are two of our key analysts that are going to be discussing the hottest topics and the key insights and biggest takeaways from fiber connect event this week so you're not going to want to miss that we'll see you guys next wednesday thanks all